This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Well, welcome back to the final lesson uh, of our series here of missions, bringing order to chaos. And so, again, I want to reiterate to you, I know I prayed about it, but I want to reiterate to you, thank you for being a part of this. If I didn't have a class, then there'd be nobody to teach. And then uh, I'm really grateful for all of the interactions that we've been able to have. Uh, it sharpened me. And then uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm really thankful for the opportunity. So thank you for being part of it. And um, it really means a lot to me. And so this evening we are diving into the final session and I was kind of thinking through some things and I know for me probably one of my greatest weaknesses in public speaking uh, is is I can start really well. I'm pretty good at getting opening illustrations and this is the big picture and this is where we're heading and when it comes to concluding um, I have all of these things like I know what I want people to grasp and then I feel like I can't get the right words out. And so I'm a little nervous, but I hope tonight it all kind of comes funneling into uh, where it's supposed to be because this is the last one that I want us to walk away um, challenged and encouraged uh, and strengthened in our Christian walk as we look at the chaos around us. And so last little tiny bit of review, uh, and I know we've done this every week, but I think it's important and so remember, we started off and we looked at the chaos that is all around us from the macro level all the way down to the micro level. We looked at how there's different nations that are in chaos. We looked at our own nation. Uh, we looked at our own state and community. And then, you know, specifically, we looked at Chesapeake and we know our own, our own selves, our own homes, our own families. And so we, we've looked at chaos and then we remembered that Christ came preaching the kingdom. He came and he said, look, not only am I saying that the kingdom is at hand, I'm saying if I bind up, uh, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm binding up demons and if I'm expelling them, then the kingdom is already among you. It's here. And so we looked at how we have two different mentalities. And again, the more I travel, the more I see or I talk to people that have this hunker down fearful mentality of hang on tight it's just going to get real bad and we got to just hang on till Jesus comes versus a, vict a victorious mentality not false optimism not the idea that all will be uh, roses and daisies and happiness but rather the fact that God is well able to use chaos and allow his people to go through it and yet to see victory on the other side. And so it is our job to come out and live victoriously in Christ. And so we looked then at how uh, God in Christ Jesus created the world. And from outside of everything, he created everything. And within creation, he embedded what it means to be objectively ordered. And so as we looked at Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, we looked at these seven principles of order that we find. And so order, when we look at bringing order to chaos, it's not bringing our own ideals of our own culture, but rather it's looking at what God says, these, uh, these things are objectively ordered, and it's living that out. And then we looked at how God not only created order, 
But in lesson three, we looked at how he mandated order. He gave us, he gave Adam and Eve, and then by giving it to them, passed it on to us. He gave mankind this dominion mandate. Go out, subdue all things, bring it under order for my sake. And then we, after that, we looked at uh, really how sin crept in. And it was in that moment, in the fall, that rather than God controlling chaos and God controlling all of these things, chaos usurped. And chaos came in and sin came in. And from Genesis onward, all we see in story after story after story is sin and chaos coming against the people of God. And so, again, what we've been trying to do is take the diamond of the Word and to turn it so that this perspective we see is how we are bringing order to the chaos that is all around us. So, we saw how chaos came. It usurped the authority of God, though it didn't defeat Him, obviously, but um, it, it took over us, took over the world. And so, all of a sudden, we go in and we see Psalm 8. And this is really where all of, the, all of the ideas come from. Psalm 8 retells creation as it should have been. And it says, this is what you were meant to be. And we're left going, well, wait a second. And Hebrews chapter 2 quotes Psalm 8. And it says, and then all things were put under your feet, but yet not all things are put under your feet. The dominion has not been complete, but we see Christ, who was made a little lower than the angels. Christ came in and fulfilled where we failed. And Christ came in and made it so that chaos could be defeated through his power. And so then, after that, we began to look kind of at some of these practical ways. We looked at uh, just different things throughout the Word of God. And last week, we left off. And I'm not sure if you have your notes from last week. And then I got to pull up. I forgot. I don't, have my, uh, I don't have my paper notes. So let me do this. Last week we left off and we were really in a rush. We were finishing up at the very end. But I wanted just really briefly to look at the end. We were looking at practical ways. We, we talk about bringing order to chaos. And then we wonder kind of what, what does that really look like? We looked at Christ as the ultimate order bringer. He's the one that came and he fulfilled all of the principles of order. He fulfilled all of Psalm 8, even down to controlling the fish of the sea. Jesus Christ controlled the fish for Peter and put the coin in his mouth. Uh, we looked at Christ, the ultimate order bringer, and then last week we looked at how the fact that if Christ is king, our mission is order. What does that mean? We talked first about fulfilling our calling well, right? Or that, that was letter B. Letter A, we looked at how um, we are to order ourselves first. But the, very, the last two points from last week's lesson were this. How do we practically bring order to chaos? What, what does that mean? One of the things that I think is amazing, how do we do this? We worship Christ in all things. How do we bring order to all of the chaos that is around us? Worship is integral. And really, we could spend the entire lesson, quite truly, we could spend it right here. Um, but we look at Psalm 2, verses 10 through 12, and it's this recap. In the beginning of Psalm 2, it's saying, Why are the heathen raging? And the people, uh, the people imagining a vain thing. And so there's this, 
you see the authorities, and then at the end of Psalm 2, it goes back and it calls the same kings, the same heathen, and it says, Be wise now, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. This is how you come to Christ. You, you obey Him. You come to Him worshiping Him. And so how do these heathen that are raging come into order? It's through worship. We look at Habakkuk, the very end of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is two questions. It's a back and forth. And Habakkuk starts off kind of angry at God, and he says, God, how can you allow all of these things? And God says, oh, don't, don't worry, judgment is coming. And so question two, Habakkuk goes, well, wait a second, judgment's coming. Why would you do that? That's really bad. And God answers that. So Habakkuk is ending his entire book, and it's really kind of a, a book of doom and gloom and, and judgment. And Habakkuk gets to the end of it. I think it's a worthwhile verse to look at. Habakkuk chapter 3. Pop quiz, who can find Habakkuk? Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. I'll just go ahead and read it. But th these words struck me when I read them some years ago. Habakkuk says this, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. If everything around me is chaos, if nothing is going the way that it ought to, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and He will make my feet like hinds feet, and He will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. Habakkuk took the most chaotic situation that he would know, and he would see this destruction come. And yet he would say, I will praise my God. That is bringing order to chaos. And then Psalm 67, we don't have time to go there and have an entire message on Psalm 67, so we really don't have time for that. But Psalm 67, very short. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Thou hast set thy name above the heavens. And then it goes, and uh, Psalm 67 is one that says this. When we learn to praise God, his lordship is declared to all nations. That's the theme of Psalm 67. When, when the nations don't know him, how do they get to know him? Through worship, through praise, through thanksgiving from his people. So how do we bring order to all of the chaos from the macro to the micro level? We have to live a life of worship. But the final point really leads into tonight's lesson. The final point of last week's lesson was we live out the gospel. We live the gospel. Matthew 28 verses 18 through 19. Again, super famous verses that I should be able to quote, and my mind is blanking, so I'll turn there. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. 
And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world or to the end of the age. And so, how do we bring order to chaos? Tonight I'm going to give you the long answer to something that you already know. The answer that you get tonight is not anything that's new. It won't really be surprising. But I hope that as we finish up looking at the Bible through this lens, that it puts a new perspective on the ordinary in our lives. Because, you know, we're all, right now, we're all familiar in this, I mean this in no political way, but we're all very familiar with antidotes and vaccinations at the moment, right? Be you for them or against them or, uh, you know, don't care one way or the other, right? We, we all have been inoculated against something. For instance, when we got to Chuuk, I don't know, maybe nine months later, a year later, we noticed that Milena started to swell really bad. And poor Milena ended up getting mumps super duper bad because we only got the first part of the vaccination and you have to wait five years to get the second part of the vaccination and that's not a problem when you live in a civilized clean area but when you don't it can come up like crazy and so poor Milena was you know super swollen for a little while and we all know about antidotes well, tonight what I want us to understand is a really plain obvious truth that we often forget because we look around at all the problems and we go how are we going to fix this the gospel is the antidote to the chaos there is no other antidote there's no there's nothing else that we can do there's no greater thing that we can present it is the gospel so from for all eight of these lessons as we have looked at chaos, as we have looked at Christ, as we have looked at his kingdom, as we have looked at the fact that our mission is to bring order to all of the chaos around us, all we're doing is walking around with the shot of the gospel and saying, this is what I've got, and this will cure it if you take it. And so tonight, our lesson objective is this, it's for the student to fully understand the purpose of his life or uh, of his life is to bring order to chaos by faithful proclamation of the gospel in life in word and in action so what i'm not saying tonight we'll get to this in a minute i'm not saying we go out and we live uh we live a um what's the gospel by osmosis kind of a thing where we live a nice life and we do lots of good things and we hope people notice us no, our gospel, the gospel should penetrate our life, but we should also give it out in word and in action as well. So the key takeaway, the simple thought is this, the gospel has, does, and will bring order to the chaos around us. And I mean this, I mean every aspect of chaos, be it in familial chaos, chaos within your house, be it looking around and, and, and making practical application, we'll get there in a little while, but looking around at all of the, the chaos that is around us at this moment, in our, specifically in our culture, because that's what we're very familiar with. So looking around at things that we, we see happening all around us, with the LGBT uh, agenda, with uh, critical race theory coming in, with... Um, with, with just politics, be it Republican or Democrat, everybody's kind of really, and, you know, just 
we look at all of this chaos that's going around us and, you know, these angry teenage kids or 25-year-old kids with blue hair screaming at the top of their lungs because they're mad about what? The gospel is the antidote to all of that chaos. The gospel is the antidote to the chaos of our pain, physical and spiritual. The gospel is the antidote to our confusion. The gospel is the antidote to absolutely everything that we will face. So here we go. We'll hop right into it. Number one, we see the gospel proclaimed. Let's do this. We're going to divvy up. Uh, all right, I remember two people that don't. Anybody else, you don't have to raise your hands again. Anybody not want to read? All right, one, two, all right, and three. All right, cool. Okay, we're going to divvy it up. Brother Mike, Genesis 3.15, please. Auntie Laura, uh, Genesis 12. 1 through 3. Brother Blackburn, Genesis 49.10. Mrs. Blackburn, Isaiah 52.7-9. Isaiah 62.1-2. and 2. And Miss Wanda, Luke 4.18-19. The gospel really is the scarlet thread that is woven from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, another person, I believe it was Spurgeon, said if you cut the Bible, it bleeds the gospel, it bleeds red. Everywhere you look throughout the Word of God, you see ties to the gospel. And I want us to notice who it was given to every time. Now again, I was, as I was studying, I was overwhelmed studying a single lesson a 45-minute lesson on the gospel. I mean, this book's volumes that more than I'll ever be able to read have been written on this subject and have barely scratched the surface. So this is obviously just a selection of passages. <laughs> but first, we see the gospel proclaimed to the snake and the sinners in Genesis 3.15. The first words of hope given to man after the fall were immediate. Snake, you're dead. I'm sending someone to crush you. This was the gospel. This is the proto-evangelium, the very first mention of the gospel. And it was given immediately with hope and not without anger. You know, I think sometimes we get the idea that Christ was in the garden just going... Tutting, man. Yeah, he was disappointed. And he could have said, ah, okay, let me wipe you out and start over. But instead, his love compelled him to say, I'm planning on coming and sending someone, myself, to die in your place. Amazing. We see the gospel then given to a pagan idolater. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. <laughs> In you shall all families of the earth 
be blessed. There's a promise of the gospel. Abraham wasn't over there doing a lot of deserving things in the country of Ur. He was a pagan idolater. I'm sure he knew of Yahweh. I'm sure there's maybe, and we don't know, we don't have details, but maybe he was worshiping Yahweh and some of these other ones. But for some reason, God looked at him and said, you come out and in your family, I'm blessing the earth. The gospel is blessing undeserved. We see then later, this is amazing to me, the gospel given to a broken man in Genesis 49.10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Who's Judah? Okay, so this is, this is Jacob blessing, or not so much blessing, some of his sons, right before he dies, and he's talking to Judah. And we look at Judah, and man, Judah's the guy that came and, and uh, did wrong to Tamar by lying to her, and then by sleeping with her, and then wanting to stone her, and then being like, oh yeah. And Judah is the guy that over and over, he's done wrong things. But what's really interesting, uh, when you read about Judah, every time you see him, he, when he does wrong, he repents. Every time. It's really a unique facet that we notice about Judah. And so as Jacob is blessing Judah, Judah is the man that has failed. Judah is the one that helped get Joseph into slavery. Judah is the one that impregnated Tamar after he had lied to her and then tried to kill her. Judah is this guy. And the Holy Spirit through Jacob says, the scepter will never depart from you until Shiloh comes. There's someone coming to redeem your line. Amazing. We see then the gospel given to a disobedient nation in Isaiah 52, 7 through 9. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. Thy watchmen shall lift up the voice, with the voice together shall they sing. For they shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again Zion. Break forth into joy, sing together, ye waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord hath comforted his people, he hath redeemed Jerusalem. Mm. So Isaiah here, remember what's happening in Isaiah. Just over and over and over again, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. You have sinned. Judgment is coming. And then it changes into this message of hope where we hear all of a sudden, look, in your brokenness, as you sit in your Babylonian captivity, how beautiful of, uh, are the feet of them that preach the gospel, that give the tidings of good news. Our God still reigns. That is the gospel given to a broken and disobedient, that's, that's given to a disobedient nation. But then we see the gospel given to a broken people in Isaiah 62 verses 1 and 2. Thank you. And also, that's my fault. I gave you the wrong, I have it wrong on here. It's Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. 
that's completely my fault. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And that's where Christ stops, and we'll get there in a little while. But this is Christ saying, this in Luke chapter 4, we see Christ open up the Bible, read this to the synagogue, and sit down. And essentially he says, this, these words, good tidings, are translated as gospel into the Greek. What is the gospel? It's given to these this broken people, to, to the brokenhearted, the, the captives, the ones that were sitting in Babylonian captivity because of their sin, yet there's somebody coming to rescue you because of your chaos, all the chaos that you allowed yourself to get into. Someone's coming to rescue you. And then we see it given, here we go, uh, to awaiting people in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 19. So Christ comes from Genesis until all the way up when Christ comes. The gospel wasn't a new idea. There was a knowledge somebody was coming. Something was going to happen that would proclaim that our God still reigns and we have a relationship with him. Christ comes onto the scene, blazing onto the scene. He comes and he's, he comes into the, the synagogue where he gets up to read and usually they weren't going to read portions like this. They were going to read some of the law and they're going to expound on some stuff. And Christ comes, he gets up, he reads a verse and a half and he sits down and begins to teach. And everybody jaw dropped. This was a claim that he was there. For a reason they did not yet understand. So notice, every time, and, and again, I know this is just a smattering of verses, but every time the gospel is proclaimed, who is it proclaimed to? It's proclaimed to people living in chaos. It is proclaimed to broken people that don't have hope outside of themselves. That's the gospel. The gospel was proclaimed. But then we had the gospel defined. So this was, this again, I went down, I've got so many notes that we didn't even, I didn't even dare put on the paper because I went down like 87 rabbit holes on this thing. What is the gospel? I mean, we know this, right? We can all say it very, very easily, right? The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? I want you to meditate on that for just a moment. What is it? There's actually a lot of people that have a lot of different answers, but the, where we should get our answer, and there's a lot of people that have a lot of answers from the Bible, but for sake of time, we're going to look at what Christ says. <laughs> That's pretty important. And really, it's very simple. He came preaching the gospel of his kingdom. So, I have a footnote on, there's, because again, we could take forever on this one point. If you look at your footnote at the bottom, you'll see a link to the Bible Project. I would really highly encourage you, it's a five and a half minute, six minute video, and it sums up 
in better ways that I can and with cool pictures, right? So that always helps me. It sums up what this gospel of the kingdom was. I really would highly recommend that you watch that video. It's very good. But Christ comes blazing onto the scene in Mark chapter 1 and verse 14. Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. So, and, and, and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. So let's think for a minute then. If the gospel, and obviously Paul's not wrong, the, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but that's not what Christ was necessarily talking about. He wasn't saying, the kingdom of God is at hand, so believe in my death, burial, and resurrection. Like, it took the disciples the entire ministry to figure that one out, and even they didn't realize it until after he had risen again, and then they had to see him to believe. So what is this gospel that he's talking about? Well, we go back and we look at what we just talked about, the gospel proclaimed. The gospel is the fact that man was broken off, chaos came in, sin took over, men had no relationship with God, and, the, 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 and that we entered into this kingdom of chaos. And the gospel simply meaning good news Christ comes preaching the good news of the kingdom. What is this? It's the fact, just as Isaiah says over and over again, our God still reigns. He desires relationship with you. And all you who are broken and affected by chaos, you can freely enter that is the good news. That is the gospel. We see in Luke 4, 43, Christ also says this, And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for thereof am I sent. What was his purpose on earth? To preach the kingdom of God of God, the gospel of the kingdom, the good news that his kingdom was here and you could enter it. All who are meek, all who are lowly, all who are broken, all of you are welcome. And so as chaos abounds, when we look around at the chaos all around us with these people that are angry about these rights over here, and then the people that hate this stuff over here, and then people that, um, I just, I saw a video, I wasn't watching that video, it was a, uh, I think it was a news, I was watching something about the news, and I was commenting on this video, of uh, a, a, a woman, a young woman that had recently uh, had an abortion and had kind of been talked into it. And it was hitting her about a week later what she, had, what she had done, and she was so broken. I mean, just devastated. She said, I wake up knowing that I'm not waking up with my baby. The gospel is there for that chaos. There's no amount of hope. There's no amount of spin. There's no amount of good stuff we can do that fixes that. So what is this gospel that Christ came proclaiming? It was the good news of the kingdom. You can get out of the kingdom of chaos and enter into this perfect kingdom. So then Paul also, man, it, this, this is cool. I learned so much. It was just awesome. Romans chapter 1, Paul, you know when you read something like a thousand times 
and then it just, you know, somebody says something and you read something somewhere, or the Holy Spirit kind of says, hey, look at that. Paul, uh, Romans 1, 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Okay, now he starts to talk about, okay, what's the gospel of God? Well, Paul answers that which he had promised afore by his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. Well, we just looked at that. From Genesis to Malachi, it was being promised over and over and over, something is going to happen. Somebody is coming to redeem you. Somebody is coming to crush the head of Satan and chaos, and hope and order will reign again. Concerning, So then what is this, right? It was promised. What is it? It's concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Huh, interesting phrasing. Lord was not something that was just freely tossed around in the Roman Empire. Caesar was Lord. Caesar Kyrios, Caesar's Lord. That was the only person that was allowed to be called Lord. But Christ was our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. So here's Paul's in-depth. These are Christ's gospel of the kingdom <coughs> is being fleshed out by Paul. And this, what is it? Well, it was the promise of God throughout the Old Testament. It was concerning his Son, who was, we know now, Christ the Lord. It was, he was of the seed of David. Here's your royalty. This is talking about the kingdom. David was saying, look, hey, out of your seed, there's going to be a kingdom that lasts forever. Oh, by the way, Christ, the Son of God, David's son. We see that he was not only the seed of David, but he was the Son of God. There's his divinity. So he was human. He was divine. He was king, and then this was all proven. That's all well and good. You can say all you want to, but then it was proved by the resurrection. And so what is this gospel? Yes, it is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but we get that technical definition in our head so much that we kind of blurt it out in Christianese and we know about it. What is the gospel? Well, gospel is simply good news. And it's the fact that Christ has a kingdom that he invites all broken, all poor, all brokenhearted and sorrowful and, and sinful men. He invites them into this. And part of that good news is the fact that there is a bridge from this kingdom of chaos to here. And that bridge was a man named Jesus Christ. And he is not a priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was tempted in like points as we are, yet without sin. He knew hunger. He knew chaos. He knew brokenness. He knew sorrow. He was touched by it all. And the good news is that he was the royal seed of David. He was the divine son of God. He came to earth for you and for me as was promised of God and he rose again so that that bridge would forever be stuck there and could never be moved. That's the gospel. 
And so really the gospel then is this. It is the invitation to step out of the kingdom of chaos and into the kingdom of Christ. When we look around and we see all, all of these people that are so angry, so mad, they are simply, whether then they will not admit it, but they are simply broken-hearted people. They are you and me before the gospel. And so, then what does the gospel, how it's, it's, it's nice to set it up and to understand, okay, it was promised, and then, uh, you know, this is what the gospel really is, but then how does the gospel then bring order? How does the gospel uh, affect us on a daily life? Because here's often my issue. Maybe it's not yours, I hope not, but I would venture to guess one or two of us have the same problem. The gospel, for most of us, was something that happened to us a long time ago, and now it's for others. When in reality, the gospel is something that happened to us a long time ago, and we desperately still need today. The gospel is for us all, all of the time. So the, how is the gospel then bringing order? First of all, it has redeemed our past. All right, I'm going to divvy up more, more verses. Brother Tavis, Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. Brother, there's no pressure. Would you like to read? or uh, it's, If not, no problem. Okay, Ezekiel eleven seventeen. Brother Kelly, Ephesians 1, 5. Mrs. Kelly, Ephesians 5, 9. Uh, brother, uh, brother Sam, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through forty, please. Mama, Ephesians two four, Pap, First Peter four twelve through thirteen, and Mrs. Andreessen, Second Timothy one ten. Okay. So, how does the gospel then bring order? What does that mean? What does that look like? Does it mean that as soon as somebody accepts the gospel that, oh, everything is well-ordered? Not so much. I mean, you and I have been saved for a while, and things are still kind of chaotic at times, right? And the gospel has been in the world now for 2,000 years, and the world has, you know, it's, it's lost its marbles. It's on its rockers. It's just, you know, everything's kind of crazy. So what does this mean? Well, first of all, on a personal level then. It has redeemed our past. How? By bringing us life. Ephesians 2. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he has loved us, even when we were dead in sins, that quickened us together with Christ, by grace we are saved. So, the fact that Death is chaos, and yet the gospel has brought us out of that. It has made us alive again in Christ. And so it redeemed our past by taking us from true death into true life. And then the gospel uh, has redeemed our past by changing our hearts. Ezekiel eleven seventeen. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, you from the countries where I have been, where you have been scattered, and I will give you a land of Israel. 
Thank you. I must have, what's the, can you read verse 18 just in case? And I'm going to look, I, I might have written down the wrong reference. And they will go there, and they will take away all the detestable things and all the things, on all the abominations from them. Thank you. Well, I did something silly there. Was it 10? No. <laughs> That's okay. For sake of time, I won't go for it. Um, there's a passage in Ezekiel. You know what? Let me check one thing real quick. 31. Ah, all right. Well, there's a passage in Ezekiel, uh, and I don't know why I put 11 then, but it says that Christ would take out their heart of stone and he would put in a heart of flesh. Christ does that for you and for me. He brings us back to life. He takes out our heart of stone that wants nothing to do with him. He puts in a heart of flesh. That immediately changes. That changes our penchant for chaos. You know, we people thrive on chaos. People thrive on things that are anti-God, against God, until Christ comes. And he changes their hearts. Then he uh, has redeemed our past by giving us sonship in Ephesians 1 5. Thank you. We've been adopted into Christ because of the gospel. So now we are alive with flesh, with the heart of flesh, a good way, not the bad flesh, but the good flesh, right? A soft heart. And we are sons and children of God. And then he's removed us from wrath. Romans 5, 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from now through him. Thank you. Amen. Oops, where did my... Uh... And so we've been saved from wrath as well. So the gospel has taken us out of a disordered, chaotic past. And many of you can testify to this. If you've gotten saved, you know, when you weren't four or five years old, and you, you, know, you, you can remember what life was before salvation, then you know Christ has taken you out of chaos and brought you into uh, light. He's brought you into order. And even, you know, even for those of us that were saved at an early age, I can look at my, my own fleshly desire. If I wouldn't have been saved from a young age growing up, I know the bent of my heart. I know where I would have ended up had it not been for the gospel. So the gospel redeemed our past. It took away the chaos. And, and, and really, I mean, think about that. All of the things that you think about and you regret, and you go, oh, man. God says, I don't remember that. All I see is order now. There's the blood of Christ right there. The fact that he has redeemed our past through the gospel. But then, what's amazing now is that he is redeeming our present. Our purpose has been redeemed. Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Verses 36 says, Master, which is the great commandment of the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, 
Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Thank you. Do you guys have, uh, there should be another footnote down there, footnote number two. Okay, yeah, again, a great, there's a great guy named Mike Winger. Um, um, and anyway, I, some of the thoughts that I'm getting ready to present finally clicked in. Like, I, he helped me figure out how to say what I was wanting to say. So I would highly recommend that video that I uh, posted to. It talks, he's talking about atheists versus Christians, but it's still, it's a great video for pertaining to our conversation. Um, it's really easy for us to say, what's the purpose of life? And we can all say, well, to glorify God. But what, what does that look like? Uh, and sometimes we don't like simple answers. We want to know, what does that mean to glorify God? How can I, uh, how can I exegete these passages? Love God, love others. That's the chief end of man. Glorify God by loving Him and loving others. It's really quite that simple. But... Here's what's amazing then. Our purpose is redeemed. So um, if you're listening to this, you know who you are. But, um, and I love you. But um, my, one of my, my, my closest friends in all the world rejected the gospel a few years ago. Just flat out said, I don't believe that anymore. It's all hogwash. You know, whatever. So I don't, I don't think he is saved because you cannot reject the Holy Spirit and Christ. But he lives a great life. He's a moral guy, loves his family, does good things with his money. He's rich. He's well-ordered. I mean, the guy owns a, a, uh, a super, super uh, wealthy business. His life is one of well-ordered. He, he grew up in a military family, and so he really, I mean, he loves just all of this order. So we look at that life of order, and yet, ultimately, according to Christ... All your works are as filthy rags. None of that is good. None of that is truly ordered. Why? Because he's not doing it for a redeemed purpose. He can love his fellow man. And he does. But he doesn't love God. It's not a redeemed purpose. And there are so many people that this message of order and chaos can be so confusing because there are so many good people in the world that don't know Christ, and yet they live ordered lives. And we're over here going, well, you know, we've got a, we, our mission is to bring order, but how do we bring order to Elon Musk, who's the richest, smartest dude in the world? How do we bring order to uh, these people over here, that, these philanthropists that are just doing all kinds of great things? And the fact is that our purpose in life, living for man and being loving to man, that's important, but it's second. Loving God is the first. How do we bring glory to Him? We love God and we love others. How do we do that? How do we, love, how do we glorify God, love God, and love others? Not only is our purpose redeemed, but our work is redeemed. Ephesians 2.10 Thank you. And so look, this is where we hit, especially last week, we talked about if Christ is king, then our mission is order. What does that mean? It means that in everything we do, everything that we do is redeemed. Working at the, um, not the shipyard, but I'm blanking on the name, and thank you, thank you, working at the port, working as police officers, right? 
uh, working as a mom, working as a businessman, or whatever the case might be, all of these things are now redeemed. Why? Because the gospel saved us unto good works. And so here's the point then, uh, and, and I was finally able to put it into a way that I really wanted to. Bringing order to the world around us is not equivalent to the gospel, but rather an extension of the gospel. Yes, sir. Work out your own salvation. Thank you. That's great. <laughs> Amen. That, you know, it's those thoughts right there that just sometimes you're so <laughs> here. And thank you, brother. I'm going to write that down so I can add it. And I'll footnote you in the book or something like that. You know, how, how is it when they, when, they, when they quote somebody that has quoted somebody else? So it's like, uh, I'll have to find that reference and then I'll be like, and Sam Warren. You know? <laughs> uh, all right. And so, yeah. Again, so this is, this is what bringing order is. It is because of the gospel, I am now fully able to love God and love man. Yes, I fail. Yes, I mess up. But still, my purpose has been redeemed. And God takes imperfect trying. God takes imperfect me. And he says, that's good. I'm going to use that. If I saved broken people, I can use broken people. So when we love God and we love mankind, then our work is redeemed, whether it's going out on a Saturday and passing out Gideon Bibles, or it's wiping the runny nose of our little child, or whatever it might be. That work has been redeemed, and that little bit of work pictures the gospel. It shows order in the world. It is so much further beyond even giving this is and this again this is glory to the lord on sunday mornings in chuk we have a group of little kids that come to our house to pile into the back of our truck to go to church and they're never there on the time that you know like they're either there really really early like really really early or really really late a lot of times it's really really early because they know they probably have breakfast waiting for them and then I'll tell you what, there's, you get ready to preach, you get ready to go out and work, Sarah's going to do a uh, kid's class, and you hear that banging on the gate, or you hear your name being called, and you're like, oh, I got like a ton of little kids to deal with and try not to destroy everything around me. And so many times, the Lord has brought back to the point, if you just give a cold cup of water in the name of Christ, that's a reward. That's bringing order to that little child's world right there. That's the gospel. Every act of obedience that we do is a picture of the greater gospel. That's bringing order to chaos. Our circumstances are redeemed. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, mm. that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Mm. So, sorry, I'll put that up there. There we go. Our circumstances are redeemed. The gospel redeems. Look, so again, 
and the, and the reason I have this in here, it's not that when we have the gospel in our life, our life is automatically ordered and great. No, chaos will come harder at you. Chaos will seek to overwhelm you. Satan will target you. But don't be surprised. Because God even uses chaos. Remember how we talked about that. He flips it on its head and he uses chaos against itself to bring glory to him. Sometimes it hurts us. Sometimes it's uncomfortable, but even our circumstances are redeemed because of the gospel. How can you not have order in that? When God is so big that he takes disorder and creates order out of it. It's amazing. So we're, we have to be done. But, so we'll run through it real quick, and I'll just give you a quick commentary. The gospel redeems our future. Death is destroyed. Go ahead, Mrs. Andreessen, real fast. 2 Timothy 1.10. Thank you. Death is destroyed. Death is abolished, technically, according to that verse. And we know in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, O death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? We know that we are then given life and immortality, and our purpose then is eternal. Listen, get this. Bringing order to the chaos around you, giving water to that child, wiping that child's nose, keeping uh, a drug offender off of the streets, um, taking care of your spouse, all of that. That work is eternal work because it was redeemed by an eternal gospel. That should rethink, that should make us rethink everything we do. We are an eternal people. We are now immortal. and Therefore, our works carry on. Our future has been redeemed. And then finally we have the gospel for the world. What was Christ's last command? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. So we see that the gospel brings light to dark. Look, the, the, the people that are out there advocating for abortion, the people that are out there advocating for homosexual and transgender rights and transitioning children and the people that are out there uh, that are so adamant and so sure that they are 100% correct they think they are because they're in the dark. And we can choose to be really angry at them. Or we can choose to go in and say, no, look, here's order. And it will fix your world like nothing you can imagine. And the gospel brings clarity to the confused. If you look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, we won't go there. But it's all of those terrible sins. The ones that we deal with right now, effeminacy and homosexuality and, uh, uh, and um, immorality, just plain old-fashioned immorality and fornication, all of those things, and such were some of you. And then the gospel changed you. So what does the gospel do? The gospel brings order because it is taking people out of the kingdom of chaos and placing them into the kingdom of Christ, it makes our work, it makes our purpose, it makes everything we do eternal. And therefore, everything we do now is a picture of the gospel of Christ when it's done out of love for God, love for man. And so go out, create order by simply living out the gospel. It's a simple answer to a long, long class 
uh, eight weeks. And yet, I hope you see it through that diamond. And I hope that everything you do is redeemed because you see now that the gospel affects everything. It brings order to this world of chaos. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that we had this class time. Let us bring order to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.